Happy Father's Day to all of you dads and thank you. Father's Day is a reminder to me that I am thankful that my Father in Heaven is not like me. And, um, and it's also a reminder that when I am able to love my children as, as He loves us, uh, it is because of His grace and His kindness and His love for, for me and for my kids. And so it's a reminder um, of God's faithfulness as our, as our Father. Um, that He calls us unto Himself and He um, parents us and guides us and um, makes us co-heirs with Christ, making us His sons and daughters and um, providing for us an everlasting inheritance. So what a blessed day Father's Day is to be reminded of God's fatherhood for us. I'd like to pray for us and... Um, as we get started, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 12, and we're going to look at the whole chapter of 1 Samuel 12. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would um, allow our hearts to be renewed today, that Lord, we would approach you now as sons and daughters. That we would long to be in the presence of our Father. Long to have you very close to us. Lord, by your grace, let us fill our need for you to be parented by you, to be shepherded. By you. Father, remind us now that um, you have gone from heaven to earth so that you could spend eternity with us. That you've chosen to share your glory with us. Father, I pray today that we would recognize that your faithfulness does not cease even when our unfaithfulness is at its height. Father, we, I lift up all of those that are hurting today, uh, that Father's Day is a hard day for them that they're reminded of uh, a lack of love, of not being cared for. Father, I pray that you would pull them extra close. Remind them of your covenant love. Father, I pray for those that did not have an earthly dad that believed in them. That they would feel your care. And your smile upon them. Father, I pray for those that have not felt union with their dad. That they would feel union with you. 
and that that would fill their hearts. And I pray that your scripture would work in a powerful way this morning. Lord, that your spirit would speak boldly in power, that it would be a humbling message to our hearts, an empowering message to our hearts, all at the same time. Grant us your grace, and Lord, even though we don't deserve to see your Son, I pray now through the Scriptures that we would see your Son. We pray this in his strong name. Amen. Okay, as we're moving into 1 Samuel chapter 12, uh, just a reminder of just where we have come. We were introduced last week to the uh, reality of Saul's reign as king. And we see that Saul came onto the stage and brought with him a state of power and a state of grace and a state of praise. Uh, We saw that um, the people responded to Saul's military victory with proclaiming him as king, wanting to recognize this power. They're in awe of Saul at this point in time. Samuel sees this, the prophet Samuel, he sees this state of power, grace, and praise. And even though the author wants us to recognize the temporary nature of this and almost have a longing for something that's permanent after we see this, Samuel still sees that this represents the kingdom of God as it should be. And this is the end of chapter 11 that Samuel sees. What we are seeing, even though it's temporary, this is a picture of what it should be. Power, grace, praise. And Samuel says, now let us go and renew the kingdom. Renew the covenant. Renew the covenant between God and His people. And so follow along with me as I read through chapter 12. It's quite a, quite a long passage, but... Hang in there as we read verses 1 through 25. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me, and I have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed before you, for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. 
But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Bells and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is the word of the Lord. So as we look at this renewal of the kingdom, this renewal of the covenant, we're going to see the God of the covenant the reality of the covenant and the people of the covenant. And as we look at the God of the covenant, we need to understand that this truly is a historic shift in the history of God's people. Because Israel now has a human king. The nation is handing its power from Samuel and really, in their minds, from the Lord to this human king, Saul. And as Samuel begins to give this address to the people, he, he wants, he is asking them to testify uh, to, he is asking them to proclaim that he's been faithful. He is asking them to testify that he has not taken things from them, that he has not stolen from them. And at first glance, as he's doing this, we're seeing, 
is, does Samuel have some kind of beef? Is Samuel bitter as if he has been dethroned and now he is angrily reminding the people that he was a good leader? And at first glance, it looks like that he is trying to get praise for himself, fishing for their compliments. But actually what Samuel is doing is he is preparing the Israelites for what is to come for them. Because before Saul was ever known, before the people ever knew who their human king was, but they were longing for a human king, Samuel told them what the Lord had said. And Samuel was making it very clear that the Lord said, if you have a human king, he will take from you. He will take your sons and your daughters. He will take your possessions, your money, your time, even your personhood. And their response was, give us a king. We want a human king. And so what Samuel is doing is he is getting them to testify that he has not done that very thing. That God provided through Samuel a faithful leader for the people before Saul. And then he will have Samuel there after Saul. And so Samuel is not looking to exalt himself. He is looking to exalt the Lord's faithfulness. That even after the people realize Saul's failures and faults and that Saul is wanting to take and take and take, Samuel will still be there as a leader, as God's voice. And so as the people are fixated on Saul and they're in awe of what he has just done and Samuel is saying, this is a scene that would go something like, do you understand that I was a good leader for you? They are saying, yes, But let's move on. We have another one. But Samuel was the glue, and he will continue to be the glue that holds the people of Israel together. Now this leads Samuel to then more directly speak of God's unbelievable faithfulness to his covenant people. He moves on from that point to say, when your fathers were in Egypt and they cried out to be free from slavery, God delivered them. He sent Moses and Aaron. And he delivered your fathers out of Egypt. And then when your fathers then turned away from him after they were delivered, they began to serve other gods and they came under the hand of the Philistines. They then cried out to God. And God delivered them once again. But then the same pattern continued. They were delivered. Then they turned away from God, began serving other gods. And at this point, he is speaking in the present tense to describe that now when they fell, when you, Israel, fell under uh, the hand of Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, instead of crying out to God, you cried out for a human king. You cried out for a king of your choice. And this was as if Israel was saying, okay, we need deliverance again. But this time, can we get deliverance without giving up our idols? Can we look to be rescued without having to get off, get, give up the bells and the ashtaroth? Can we look to a less humbling way of getting rescued? But what Samuel wants them to see, even in that approach, God has not abandoned His covenant people. God has not, not stopped being a father to the people of Israel. If you've ever noticed on certain things like uh, an HVAC unit or certain uh, larger appliances in your home, 
There will be a sticker, or either with the owner's manual, it will tell you how you may void the uh, manufacturer's warranty. And one of the primary ways that you can void the manufacturer's warranty is when you try to fix it yourself. When you try to approach a broken heater or unit or washing machine by trying to fix it with your own hands. And, uh, and then when you realize that you can't fix it, um, I'm not admitting whether this is from experience or not, but when you can't fix it and then you call the manufacturer, you then realize um, this warranty has been voided. Now, what Samuel is telling the people of Israel here is that this should have voided the covenant that God had made with them. They have looked to another king. They have looked to another leader. They have looked to another Lord, but God, but Samuel is saying that God is still going to be their God. Even as Saul is their king, he is still going to be their God. And he's even going to use their desires for a king to lead them and to carry out his plan and to even bless them as a people. Now, here's how, as we look at this covenant love of God, the God of the covenant, here's how this covenant love works for us. As we look to other providers, God continues to provide for us. And so the questions would be, who do you look to for your next paycheck? Or who do you look to for love? Who are you... Who are you looking to to make your heart skip a beat? Or who do you look to for security? And this is not to beat anyone up. This is, these are honest questions. These are real questions for me to have to answer and to see that our covenant God still provides as we thank others and as we look to others. And even as I... I'm so thankful to be loved by Elena. I fail to thank God for sending his love through my wife and unto me. And even as I am so thankful for my church, and I even find so much fulfillment in being a pastor of this church, I fail to realize that God has offered fulfillment from Himself through you, through this church, and through this call to ministry in order that I would find my calling. I am forgetting that God is providing for me, even through other people. And this is how God is... This is how the God of Israel is dealing with Israel, and this is how we can see that He is dealing with us in the same way. Now, as we grow in grace, our understanding of God's provision and His love and His care, this should um, become more clear in our lives. This should, this, our thanks for that should grow as we grow in Christ. But what we are to realize here is that God is faithful to His covenant. And Samuel is having to remind Israel of that. And we probably need to be reminded of His faithfulness now. And even as we approach the section of Israel's history wherein the kingdom and the covenant is being renewed, I will assume that there are some of us, maybe all of us here, 
that needs something renewed in a very similar way. A renewal of the covenant between God and His people, between God and His church. We need to be reminded of what took place then and also that that is continuing to take place now. The unbelievable thought that God is still our God. That's an, that's an overwhelming thought. And this, as Samuel is addressing his people, what he is proclaiming, what he is revealing is that he is jealous for their hearts. Not that they would praise him over Saul, but that they would see God as over Saul. That they would love God over man. O Israel, that you would love this God. That is, that is Samuel's heart. That is his desire. He is proclaiming the God of the covenant. That he is still the God of the covenant. This leads us to this point. That as God is the God of the covenant, there is also a reality of the covenant that Samuel is trying to express. He is wanting to make it clear. There is a God of the covenant, but there is also a reality within this covenant. A number of years ago, an acquaintance of mine that I actually worked in the same building as she did... She stopped paying her car note. She just, there were some other things that got more important at the time, and she stopped paying it, and then she realized she wasn't paying it, but she was still driving it, considered it hers, and so she just kind of stopped paying it altogether. Perhaps some thoughts of maybe one day catching up, but just stopped paying for her car. And in one particular day, on her lunch break, she goes out to get. Uh, into her car to go um, to lunch. And then she comes back in frantic that someone had stolen her car. And she's telling everyone about it, and then she begins calling the police, frantically saying that her car has been stolen, and uh, she's giving them information on the car, and so the police start a search, and then soon the police call her back to let her know that her car had been repossessed. Now, I bring that story up to say what happened was this acquaintance of mine was exposed to the reality of the contract that she had entered into. That's not exactly the same as what we're seeing here, but there is a similar principle for us to see that the reality of this covenant is that there are two parties within this covenant. There are two sides to this covenant. And Samuel is warning the people of Israel, as we will see in just a moment, to not mistake God's patience and His grace and His continuing work of renewal for indifference. To not mistake God's love for His failure to follow through or for a lack of justice. He is wanting to make it clear that there are two sides to this covenant and that there are two parties within this covenant. And so here's what we are faced with. God has not abandoned His covenant he is still the God of the covenant. But the reality is found in a few verses. Look at verse 15 of 1 Samuel 12. God is still their God, even as Saul is king. But he says, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but re rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of God will be against you and your king. And then look all the way at the end of this chapter in verse 25. He says, if you still do wickedly, then you will be swept away, both you and your king. Can you 
Can you grasp the reality of this covenant? Even the threat of the covenant to the covenant people? Because it's this, God despises evil. He despises the sin that separates Him from His people. And He will sweep away the rebellion. And if we serve the wrong king, then we will find ourselves outside of the covenant. We won't find God outside of the covenant. But we'll find ourselves outside of the covenant. So here's here's where this comes home. God is faithful. And He calls on our faithfulness to fear Him, to serve Him, to obey Him, to not rebel against His commandment, and to follow Him. And here's the problem with this reality. We don't pay the bill. We don't do this. It's the reality of the covenant. Now, I want you to see if you can identify with a story from, from my junior high years in summer camp. This particular time, I remember we were in North Carolina, and all, a bunch of churches come together, maybe, maybe hundreds, it's a lot. But we're there, and at the, end of the, at the end of the day, every church gets into their own groups, okay? And this was very typical. At the end of the day, and you kind of have follow-up with your own particular church, and your youth pastor, your pastor is there, and you're following up. In this particular night, what we were doing, there were probably 30 of us, is we were going around and we were confessing our struggles. We were confessing our problems and how we are uh, struggling in sin. Asking for prayer, things like that. And so we're going around the circle. And, everybody, and it was like a broken record. I'm not, I've not been having my quiet time. I've just not been spending time with the Lord. Now, every now and then you'd hear somebody that doesn't honor their parents, things like that. But more or less, not been having my quiet time. And I was really thinking, okay, when it gets to me, I'm going to really kind of get on that. And I'll say, because I haven't. So I'm going to say, yeah, I'm really struggling with getting up and spending time with the Lord. But really what I was thinking was, I wish this would hurry up. Because I knew that all the churches were coming together to play capture the flag that night. And they were probably already gathering, and I was worried that I wasn't going to get in the game. And so I was wanting everybody to hurry up with their confession of sin. Now, if I had been honest when it came around to me, what if I would have said something to this effect? I haven't been having a quiet time because I don't have faith in God's Word. I haven't been having a quiet time because I don't value his voice. I'm tired in the morning because I'm up late at night because I find more value and greater worth in Super Mario Brothers on Nintendo. Now, what if I'd said that? And some of, the, some of our junior high and high school kids can say, that is exactly how I feel. But I would never say that. And if I would have said that, the people around me probably would have backed up and said, Jake is about to get struck by lightning. Lightning is about to fall down on him. But here's why that would have been good. Because then I would have had a problem. Then I would have confessed a real problem. 
Because if our sin issue is something that we can fix without Jesus, then we don't understand sin. And we really don't understand ourselves. If we keep letting this circle go around and we're saying, I'm not having my quiet time, all I need to do is get up in the morning and do it, we do not understand what's going on in our hearts. Because the truth is, I have not been following the Lord and I have not been obeying His voice because I find more value and greater worth in a hundred other things than I do in His voice. And I'm putting those things above God over and over again. Now, if your sin issue is something that you can fix right away by saying, okay, I'm done, then you have not dealt with it yet. You are letting surface things govern your relationship with the Lord. Now, this is the reality of the covenant. <laughs> this is the reality of where we live. And, this, and Samuel uncovers this in verses 17 and 18 when he begins to say, it should not rain and it should not storm right now. This is the dry season. The, the skies are clear, but I'm going to call down for thunder and rain. And when he does that, it begins to storm. And the rain and the thunder comes down. And this is what happens, perhaps for the first time with this generation of Israelites. They see that Saul was not their answer. They see that they have made... They see that they have idols. And they see that they have been getting into terrible situations over and over again because they continue to go back to their idolatry. They continue to find themselves in slavery to other nations because they continue to go back to their idolatry. And then, now that they have chosen Saul as their king, they are realizing that they have tried to take this into their own hands, fix their problems by something that they could do. And then they see, here's the God who controls the rain and the thunder. And we have looked to a measly man to be our Savior. And they realize this is not well. And they are loving many other things more than Him. So here's where we find ourselves. We need to get beyond, okay, I can fix this. We need to get beyond, okay, I can fix this if I'll just start this or stop that. And we have to get to the place of saying, I'm doing this and I'm not doing that because there are so many other things in my life that are more important than being in a relationship with a covenant God. Do you love many more things than God? You need to say yes. You need to get to that place to uncover what's under there. Now, as we look at the reality, now we look at the people of the covenant. Because as we look at the God of the covenant and then the reality of the covenant, we're seeing that here's, here's God, God's side of the covenant. And then the reality is, is that there's another side of the covenant, and this is the people's side of the covenant. But who are these people? I recently had someone come up and tell me that the problem with the church, and this is accurate, 
that the problem with the church is that the church does not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's accurate. But but then he said, now if we could just do that, then everything would be okay. Now if we would just do that. And the problem is, is that we can't just make this conscious, conscious effort and say, okay, I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength. We can't just get to that point. So who are these people of the covenant? And how could you, how could I ever be one? And then Israel's response here, is Samuel is relaying all this information to them, Israel's response is a foreshadowing one. Because they hear about God's power. They hear about His patience. They hear about the call on their life to follow Him. And here's why it's so foreshadowing. Because they don't say, okay, thank you, Samuel. Now we will get things right. Now we will begin to move in the right direction. It's time for faithfulness and obedience. It's time for me to make the most of my day in loving God. They don't say that. Instead, what do we see that they say in verse 19? They said, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. They say, Samuel, please pray for us. We have sinned because we are sinners. And, then, and they're saying something is wrong with our hearts. Please pray for us. And Samuel responds by saying, you would almost think he would, he would be saying, it's not that bad. But instead he says, you have done all this evil. You have done all this evil. But he says, I'm going to continue to pray for you. So who are the people of the covenant? And this is why it's foreshadowing, because Israel is telling us that the people of the covenant are the people who look to someone else to solve their problem. They realize that they can't solve their problem. So do you hear God say? Because we need to hear God say this. If you don't, we need to hear God say this. Do you hear God say, here are my requirements. These will be my people. Here are my requirements. These will be my people. Then how do you respond to that? Do you say, I could never do that. I'm out of here. There's no way. Do you say, okay, I need to consciously make some efforts and some decisions to do these things that God has said so that I can be a part of His people? Or do you say, Jesus, pray for me? Do you say, Jesus, save me? Do you say, my problem is something that I cannot fix? Are you able to say there's an actual problem here? Jesus, save me from my ongoing sinfulness. Because this is exactly who Jesus saves. He saves the sick. He saves the one that should be struck by lightning. He saves the one who says, Jesus, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And then he says, follow me. He says, follow me. I will give you strength. Consider, as Samuel is saying here, Jesus says the same thing. Consider what God has done for you. So why did the people of Israel all of a sudden look to Samuel as Samuel showed them the power of God and showed them the call of God? 
Because they knew they didn't simply need a king. And this is where we have to be. We have to be be at a place where we know that we can't rely on ourselves or our own wisdom. They knew they didn't simply need a king. They knew that they needed a redeemer. And Samuel shows us that as the wicked are swept away, and as as the wicked are swept away along with their kings and their idols and all of the things that they have used to try to save them or to fulfill them, God's covenant people will be different because as the winds come in, they will be tied to a covenant God who has come in the flesh. They will be tied to a covenant God that is committed to working in their hearts and doing the very things that we could never do, accomplishing the very things that we could never accomplish. And so what... Where is this passage ultimately going? Ultimately, this passage wants us to look. And it's even as the author is telling us this story. The author is showing us that the Israelites desperately need to look ahead to someone else. To someone else that they need more than they could ever realize. And for us... Just as the Israelites are to look to someone else that's in the future, we're to look to that same Christ, the covenant God who came in the flesh to die for us and to save us. We need Him more than we could ever realize. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for being the God of the covenant. Therefore, your promises remain. Your mercy remains. Your justice remains. Your law even remains. All of these things are intact. And then, Father, thank you for the mediator of this covenant who is ours in Christ Jesus. Making us the people of the covenant, even in all of its reality. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are our Father. Thank you that in Christ, you are our Father. Amen.